Welcome to episode three of Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Since this program is in its infancy, I want to make sure that we continue to emphasize its foundations by intentional repetition of our purpose and convictions. That's why, for example, you'll hear me reiterate the mission and themes in each segment, To that end, and to the curious or uninitiated, the title of our program, Jesus and the Meteorologist, draws its inspiration from Scripture, in particular the accounts found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, where Jesus rebukes his accusers for their unbelief, calling them hypocrites for depending on God's revelation to predict the weather, while ignoring God's revelation to interpret the signs of the times. Last week, we elaborated on this point, and I would encourage our audience to listen to episode two for a more thorough discussion on what we mean when we say that knowledge of God is inescapable, and that the Christian worldview is the precondition for the intelligibility of anything. Unless you know God and the God of Scripture, you cannot know anything. And as we explained in episode two, everyone knows the God of Scripture in the sense that everyone uses the same universal concepts, like the laws of nature the laws of logic, uniformity of matter, reliability of memory, and other invariant, immaterial, yet necessary concepts in order for anything to be intelligible. However, while Christians admit these things and give credit to God for revealing them to us, the unbeliever pretends otherwise, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, as it says in Romans, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their minds became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we return, we'll be joined in the studio by friends and some former students who volunteered to enter the Offices of Hypothesis. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. I'm your host, Kevin Cookagee, and today we are joined by three guests whose real names, always kept confidential, but whose stage names are, looks like we've got someone back. Roger. Roger's back. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Hogan. 
Hogan, as in Hogan's Heroes. Yes. I, I think you need some help with your printing. Ouch. Ho- Hogan, Hogan is a is a high school graduate, and yet his printing on that card looks like he's maybe in seventh grade. <laughs> that deserves a little bing. And Penelope. Now, you have a very artful crafting of your name on your name tag there. Penelope sits to my left. Hello. Hello. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks always to your parents. Hope they're listening and your families for allowing you to borrow, for allowing me to borrow your time. Before we enter the offices of Hypothesis, I want to let our audience know something about the nature and character of our guests. I can see them face to face here, um, but you might not know why I selected them and why they're here. For the most part, all of our guests are either current or former students. And each has demonstrated both in class and out of class an intellectual humility and curiosity. They have good parents. They know that they do not know everything, and they understand that human knowledge is fractured. That is, no one person or group of so-called experts could ever know everything there is to know on a particular subject, let alone on subjects outside their area of study, even given a lifetime of devotion to it. And this is a good quality. Intellectual humility prevents a lot of forced errors. But our guests, our students, have shown an earnest desire to learn what is true, which leads to the second quality that's required to be a guest on this program, and that is moral force. Our guests always on this program possess moral force, which is a commitment to acting on the knowledge of what is true, which takes courage, especially in the face of threats of lower grades, loss of a job, loss of opportunity, loss of liberty, and even, in some cases, loss of life. Knowledge brings culpability, which is why so many in our day refuse to inform themselves of what is true, thinking they can escape responsibility by remaining ignorant. And as I shall reiterate on this program, one cannot have moral force without moral clarity, which, as we establish, is not determined by what you see, but rather by what you believe. Most people have access to the same information, but only when you believe what is true can you see things as they really are. And only when you see things as they really are do you possess the moral clarity to make prudent decisions. In episode two, we gave an illustration from Little Red Riding Hood to support our argument. Little Red Riding Hood, you recall, had no problem seeing the wolf, but because she did not believe the wolf was a wicked beast, she did not fear him. And everything that followed was a predictable disaster. One, she entered into dialogue with one whose designs were only evil and foul play. Two, she disclosed to her enemy detailed confidential information about her destination, putting both herself and her grandmother in grave danger. And three, she allowed herself to become distracted by shiny objects and good deeds, in this case, flowers off the path coming to her senses only by virtue of her personal limitations. That is, she couldn't carry any more flowers. Little Red Riding Hood lacked moral force because she lacked moral clarity. But her condition had nothing to do with what she saw. It had everything to do with what she believed. This ability to clearly and plainly see and to admit reality as it is rather than as one wishes it to be is the only basis upon which we can make prudent decisions about anything. Bad decisions, on the other hand, like, for example, jumping off a 20-story building under the firmly held conviction that you are a bird, is a consequence of moral confusion. 
and no amount of peer-reviewed studies claiming to support your ability to fly can prevent the inevitable force of gravity. Moral clarity and moral force, like intellectual humility and curiosity, are the marks of men and women who understand that God, not man, is the measure of all things. And this is the character of those who are chosen as guests for our program. My guests also happen to be icebergs, not snowflakes. What's the difference, you might ask? Well, there are many. But to name just a few, icebergs are deep and impenetrable. Their outward, visible majesty is matched by an immovable integrity below the surface. I'm sure the passengers on the Titanic came to understand that quite intimately. Snowflakes, on the other hand, are fragile. Their beauty and integrity, together, are subject to melting and dissolution under the slightest rise in temperature. Snowflakes may sparkle when left undisturbed, but they are no match for the titanic challenges of reality. Suffice it to say, on this program, we're looking for a few icebergs, men and women who can withstand the withering heat of attacks against their positions without losing the integrity of their condition or the courage of their convictions. Now, our listeners cannot see, and uh, you can't see yet today, but we have some iceberg um, and Titanic art that our students are going to be crafting for us. Uh, it's not Lego, but it's Lego-like material. And by next week, I expect them to be finished. Class assignment, right? To assist us. We need more iceberg metaphors. <laughs> With that now on the record, we will now proceed to enter into the... Offices of Hypothesis. The Offices of Hypothesis. And this week's hypothesis for our students is... The condition of society tomorrow is a direct result of the character of society today. Again, the condition of society tomorrow is a direct result of the character of society today. Or, the character of society today indicates what our future holds. So I ask my guests, is this hypothesis true or false? Roger. I think this hypothesis is true. I would agree. Hogan, true. Penelope? I think it's also true. So three trues. All right. Let's go back to Roger, who gave us our first answer. Roger, explain yourself. By the way, because in our classroom, we're not permitted to just make a naked assertion, right? You must clothe your arguments. So, Roger, clothe your argument. Yes, I'd say they are related because the condition or the character of the society today determines the outcome, and the outcome is what is the condition. Um, and I was going to say, I think we've seen this in the past, too, just from so, early America to now. Okay. See how it's changed. That's a good starting point. I, I think this is good, too, because admittedly, we're all Americans in this room, both mm-hmm. by birth birth and belief. So America is a good, a good way to make an analogy. So Hogan... Before I interrupted, you were going to say there is a connection between the character of the colonists and what? And uh, today's society. Today's society? In the government. Yes, yesterday's society. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think what we, it might be better for us to break it down as to what was the immediate following. Um, You look at the character of the colonists, what transpired, and then maybe we'll come back and look at what the character of America is today and what does that portend for the future. Mm -hmm. So 
um, anybody, this is an all play, Penelope, Hogan, Roger, what were some of the characteristics of the colonial Americans, or be, even before they were called Americans, the colonists? Yeah, they were independent from Great Britain, or they were independent from any other man. Okay, they were marked by independence. What else? I would say they were self-driven. Self-driven, okay. Hard-working, enterprising. They were faith-based. Okay. Any faith? Taoism, Hindu, Buddhist? Uh, Christian. Yeah. Faith in God. Faith in God, for sure, and many of those Christian, though not all. We and know some were deists. believes that these men and women are, can govern themselves wisely. <laughs> yes. You can quote. Yeah. What was that quote? That was the um, Gettysburg Address, right? No, you actually quoted Ronald Reagan. Oh, okay. <laughs> you actually quoted Ronald Reagan's 1978 CPAC speech, but very good, Roger. That was a, a wealth of knowledge you just put on those mics for eternal purposes. Wow. What, what else? Lots of other characteristics mark the colonists. How about intellectually curious? Mm-hmm. Well-read? Active, not passive. Active, not passive. Okay. Prudent? Armed? Colonists were certainly armed, right? Armed, yeah. I think it's also important to remember that the colonists were prepared in times of peace for war. A lot of people get into wars because they pretend or hope that it's not going to happen, and so they do not prepare for it. But our founders were wise enough to understand, as Tolkien wrote, that war must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour us all. He said, but I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, or the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. So our founders were interested in defending America. They weren't interested in war for the sake of war, and they tried to prevent it for as long as possible. But they also understood the reality of the human heart. How about transcendent values? Do you know what I mean by that? Like they knew um, what... What was important? Or are, you, or are you saying that they all believed the same thing? They well, weren't... no, they definitely didn't believe the same thing. They did share values. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they all believed the same thing. That would be a step too far. But they certainly shared all of these values we're talking about in the big picture sense. But when I talk about transcendent values, in other words, they knew that there was more important uh, matters to life than just physical, material life mm-hmm. itself, Right. They would rather, as the saying goes, they'd rather die for the truth than to live for the lie. Mm-hmm. Right? Agree or disagree? Agreed. Colonists. Agreed. Okay. How about a society that's motivated by success and prosperity that's determined by work or effort rather than by birth? Because what was the conditions in England at that time where you were born into royalty, right? Mm-hmm. And so that certainly affected it. What else? What kind of standards did they have? I feel like they all held each other to higher standards than we do today or after the American Revolution. And what kind of standards? What were some of their standards? Well, I mean, I feel like to uphold the Ten Commandments more so than in the later years. Okay. So the Ten Commandments and Scripture in general, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. God, God first before self. Okay. They knew that God the creator and man created were distinct, right? They weren't the same. They didn't presume, as we would say, their own autonomy. They were dependent. So Roger had said at the outset that they were independent, but he made the distinction that they're independent of men, but they were dependent upon God. Yes. Right? They understood that. That's what we mean by the, the transcendent order. 
They knew that there were some things that were more important than the material, the ephemeral. How about with respect to the role and the purpose of government? I feel like we're talking about back then, right? Yeah. So I feel like back then it was just kind of there. Like, Did they know where our rights come from? What did they believe about where rights and liberties come from? They believe that they come from God and not from man. Okay. So, that being the case, what was the role of government? What does it say in the Declaration of Independence? Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends. What ends? So go back further before that. Yeah. The role of government is to secure our liberties and happiness. These, yeah, these God-given rights, yeah. right? That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Mm-hmm. Our founders knew that the rights came from God and that government's role is to protect those rights. Government doesn't issue the rights, right? And above all things, the colonists believe that, and this applied, by the way, even to those colonists who did not profess faith in Jesus Christ, They all believe that the Bible, providing a foundation for order in the soul, right, what we call moral order, was a necessary precondition for the establishment of order in the community, constitutional order. Even those who didn't share that belief, they actually encouraged um, the upholding of biblical beliefs simply for a political purpose because they knew that that was the best way to achieve an orderly society. Uh, As I take my family through memorization of certain passages, we study Edmund Burke, who said, society cannot exist unless a controlling power upon will and appetite be placed somewhere. And the less of it there is within, the more there must be without. Men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Burke understood that absent moral restraint, the only way to maintain peace and security is through brute force of a police state. Our founders understood that the best means of restraining men's tendencies to fraud, violence, ambition, avarice, and other sins that bring chaos and disorder to a culture is by voluntary submission to the Creator, God, who alone can turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh in order that we might be redeemed through Christ from the original human condition. So these colonists then who were united by a set of shared values and firmly held convictions, defeated what? Who did they defeat? Great Great Britain. Britain. (laughs) Okay. And what were the conditions of the British Army? Were they wimpy? They were the greatest army at the time. Yeah, greatest army in the history of the world Mm -hmm. at that point. Most most technologically advanced. Most technologically advanced, best equipped military in the world, most experienced in Mm -hmm. fighting. And most experienced at winning. Yeah. And so we were just a ragtag bunch of soldiers who were able to beat them because we were unified and we held those convictions. And then following the battle, what became of America? We were prosperous. Why were we prosperous? Uh, Because we were a free nation. So would you say there's a connection then between some of these character traits that we listed and the Americans, what, who became the Americans, the colonists' ability to win the war, A, and to, then to sustain a free and civil society afterwards, right? Would you agree or disagree? I agree. Thank you, Penelope. Yeah, I agree, too. I would also agree. Okay, so now let's shift to America today. We just spent the last five or eight minutes or something like that 
talking about the characteristics of the colonists. What are the characteristics? What what are Americans today marked by, or how would you define the character traits of Americans today? I would say dependent on government and other things. Okay, dependent on government and other things, such as friends. I don't know social social, social media. media. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say they were entitled. They are they are entitled. They're not, but they think they are. They think they're they feel entitled. entitled. They feel entitled. Mm-hmm. Okay. Selfish. 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 Okay. And I think the selfishness goes more than it, it's a it's a selfishness that's a belief that a I think there's there's less and less dependence upon God. So they're they're the they're the inverse of what the colonists were, aren't they? The colonists were independent of other men, but totally dependent upon God. Today, we seem to live in a culture where everybody dismisses God and, and, and would like to believe that they're independent of God, but yet they're dependent upon other social men. media, the government, my job, my um, how I look to my friends, mm-hmm. right, whether yeah. I fit in, which is interesting, isn't it? Because it shows the natural human condition is dependent We've just made a switch and chosen to be dependent on something different and independent of something different, mm-hmm. right? But we're still the same. How about, um, would you say that Americans are easily offended? Yes. Definitely. Yeah, today. What offends, what offends them today? What doesn't More offend words. them? <laughs> <laughs> what doesn't offend them? That's right. Uh, so much for sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think we live in a culture that has proven that words absolutely do hurt. Rightly or wrongly, they certainly do. I, we talked about icebergs and snowflakes. I got to ask this: Tell me about the snowflake culture in America. Why do we call them snowflakes? Because they're soft. Because they're fragile. One word and they melt. Yep. It's interesting. The uh, our u- usurper in chief, Biden, he actually postponed a major foreign policy speech this year, literally because of a few inches of snow on his back porch. Apparently, he was. Forgetting the sacrifice that was made by the patriots who fought under George Washington just down the road at Valley Forge. In the dead of winter, remember, many without shoes on their feet and three feet of snow. So, yes, snowflakes for sure, afraid of snowflakes. How about um, what other what other types of things would they be afraid of or are they afraid of? Whatever the government tells them to be afraid of. Exactly, but they're not afraid of what the government tells them not to be afraid of. So that's interesting. So they have fears but they fear different things. Today, they're afraid of the weather, mm-hmm. which they always seem to describe as extreme. They're afraid of viruses. I would even go so far as to say they're afraid of freedom, which they appear willing to exchange for ephemeral materials like new cell phone, make sure I have my clothes, entertainment. I'll take a jab of toxins into the arm. That has more importance than freedom. How about loss of influence or FOMO? Penelope knows something about FOMO, fear of missing out. Is that something that would describe our culture today? Yes. Woman, woman of few words. <laughs> yeah, very few words. <laughs> she sits and listens. How about um, how about wanting to be like the rest of the world or wanting to be like other countries? I, I feel like that's a big problem today, especially in the younger generation, especially in high school, just because you see everybody doing this. And if you don't, if you don't act like this or you don't talk like this or whatever, 
then you won't get invited to the big parties or to the hangouts or whatever. And that's kind of the fear of missing out. But it's also like what you just said, it's just people don't want to not be there. And it's a lot of peer pressure. And that's just sad. I No, you're exactly right, Hogan. I think that the peer pressure um, is abounds today more than it ever has. And at least in, in American history. And this includes not just your friends at school, but it includes the political class. It includes business leaders mm. who I think have invested themselves in setting aside every distinction or virtually every distinction that makes us America in order to force us to be like the rest of the world. Who in reality live in less freedom with more poverty, misery, and under the authority of um, unelected bureaucrats. And, and we have political and business leaders who are willing to set aside our traditions and our free civil society in exchange for something worse just so we can be, quote, like everybody else. And I was going to say just the same thing in the government, too, not only in high school, but if you're not like them, they want to destroy you. They don't want you to even be a part of it or have any say. They want to silence you completely. Yes. Yeah, so fear of differing opinions. How about afraid of looking different? And what about this obsession with things like color of people's skin, sex, perversion, gender, bathrooms, and pronouns? Ooh, scary pronouns. Oh. People are afraid of losing jobs, afraid of losing money. And as Hogan said, they're afraid of words, that they're afraid of words spoken by their neighbor more than they fear actions taken by the government. But they're not the least afraid of actions taken by government or big business, by the way. And that goes hand in hand with being dependent because if they were independent, they would understand what is what they should truly fear, which in this case would be the government's actions. But instead, they fear their neighbor's words because the government tells them they should fear their neighbor's words. Yeah. But don't, so don't the, mind the man behind the curtain. Exactly. So they're still, as you make a good point, they're still dependent their human condition hasn't changed. They've just changed their loyalties, right? Mm -hmm. And completely brainwashed. So at the heart of all of this is their loss of fear of the Lord, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I would agree. So these, unfortunately, are the marks of our culture writ large across the intellectual, social, and moral landscape of the United States of America. So my question is, what does this portend for our future and why? To me, it seems like we're just going in a circle, going back to the times when we wanted our freedom from England, where we had those tyrants ruling over us. And it seems like more and more we're allowing that as a culture to come back because we're afraid of these things. And these people say, oh, don't be afraid. I've got this or whatever. And those people that just want to listen to what the government tells them, the government's going to tell them what they want you to hear and not what you need to know. So therefore, if they tell you this and you believe it, they're going to be completely in control again rather than us being free and having free thinking minds. So that sounds like not a very bright future then. Not at all. Roger or Penelope? Can yeah, I would concur say, or disagree? I would say we stand no chance if we were in a revolutionary war or any war for that matter. Yeah, I, I, what's, what's, what's necessary to win a war more than shared values? Right? You can have all of the technology you want. You can have the most disciplined, organized fighting force. But Penelope, 
tell me if you have a organized discipline, disciplined fighting force with all the best technology and weaponry, are you able to beat or win a war if you don't know why you're fighting? No, because if you don't know what you're fighting for, then you wouldn't be able... You would have no heart in it. Yeah, no yeah. heart. Absolutely. And that's... Think of it in sports terms, right? How many times does the best team end up losing the championship because they don't have as much heart as a team who might not be as talented, but really has, A, the, the drive and desire, but it's they're unified, right? They're unified by that common purpose. I think we saw that this year a little bit in the uh, college football semifinals, Ohio State versus Clemson. It was just the whole Clemson thing coming out saying they didn't think Ohio State should be there. So Clemson just kind of was like, yeah, they're fine, they're easy, and Ohio State took that personally and yeah. had more heart. Well, and I, Hogan is an Alabama fan, and I'm a Penn State <laughs> fan. In the glory days of Penn State, when Joe Paterno was the coach, Penn State consistently was an underdog and did not have the talent that the major programs did. Um, but they were they rallied around a common purpose of, hey, we are the underdogs and we have a a reason to know why we can win these games. Everybody doubts us, so that really has a way of unifying. Well, in America today, unlike at the time of our founders, there is no unifying purpose. And so I'm, I'm very concerned about our ability to win any war. All right, so good. We're running out of time on this segment. I want to get to our next segment. And when we return, we're going to take questions from our listeners. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach. Okay, as we do every week, this is our time for audience questions. In next week's episode, I'm actually going to give you the tools to be able to send questions to us each week. But we have one questioner. Uh, I should say we have one question from a very good questioner, and I'm going to read it to our audience and to our students here before we get into a little discussion. This is a longer one, so bear with me. Question from our listener is, would you say that one of the differences between the colonists, as well as the men of the 19th century, who fought for the American Union versus those who riot for so-called justice, is that the rioters are willing to kill for their cause, whereas the colonists were willing to die to make men free, as it says in the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And there is a P.S. to this question, and that is, couldn't you say that men of today are selfish, whereas our forefathers were selfless? Now, let me say, before we answer that question, that is such a good question that that deserves a penguin's goal horn. Excellent question. Roger Hogan Penelope, what do you think? I would say that the men of today are definitely selfish, whereas the men of yesterday were selfless because... They're, like we talked about earlier, the men of today, 
They think they are only responsible to themselves. They are their own God, whereas the men of yesterday, God was their God. And so they valued life and they valued, they valued others' lives. And that's why they were able to lay down their own lives for the cause. Whereas men of today value their life above all else. And so they take others' lives to preserve their own. Exactly. We talked about this in the first segment about transcendence or the second segment. And this is what we mean by transcendence, right? Our ancestors, not just the colonists, but people who came before us, and I would say even up through, and of course there's always people in our time, we know there are still heroes today who are willing to do this. Um, But as a nation, as a quality of a nation, we can't say anymore that we're marked by characters who are selfless, right? We're unfortunately marked by more selfish people. And that characteristic of being willing to die for something, not, not just willing to die for something dumb, but willing to die for something that is true, willing to die for something that is right and moral, willing to die for someone else, um, is a characteristic that we see very little of today. And to the extent it happens, we don't hear about it much. But we see all the time, whether it's in riots, um, as happened in the summer of 2020 in particular, um, but when they still, the riots and violence, it's interesting as a questioner poses it, because you're still talking about death. But the difference is pushing death on someone else, rather than saying, I'm willing to die for someone else, right? It's, it's death, but it's a complete reversal of roles. Hogan, did you have something to say? Well, I was going to say just the whole everything with the disrespect with the military and the police and going back to talk about the snowflakes, I feel like so much of the hate and backlash, so to say, from it comes from the fact that these snowflakes, they don't, like you said, value life, but they also want to like make up for how they feel or want to be, so to say, and they feel like bullying or whatever other people that they don't agree with is how to get back at them. And what does it say about the value of human life? Someone who's willing to kill someone over a, the color of his skin, right? It happened in Atlanta last week. A man was jogging down the street, 835 in the morning in Buckhead, and a car pulled up and rolled down its window and shot the man. Now, by the grace of God, the man did not die. He ran with a couple of bullet wounds and was helped by some good Samaritans and taken to the hospital. But there was n- there was no in- there was no condition or reason for that. He was wasn't aggravated. It wasn't like they knew each other. Uh, another man literally came up and just shot him. What does that say about what has happened to our respect for human life um, in our culture? Well, I think it's also a lack of God in our culture also, because without God, how can you respect human life? Is there any way to respect human life outside of being a Christian? No. No, No, there's not. Now, the world will say, of course I love people and I care for people's lives, and I'm not a Christian, right? Um, And we'll get into that more in later episodes, and we discussed that last week, and that gets into this this concept of while people will say, I can do this without believing in God, there is no way to account for that if you are not a believer. We can account for and explain why, because God created us. And that actually is available and evident to so many people, yet they will deny that that comes from God. They will deny that their concern for human life comes from God. But yeah, there is no other source for concern for human life except 
if the world is the way it is because God said it is that way in Scripture. If we are who God says we are, he created us, we're made the image of God, therefore that's why we have to, must, and want to respect human life. Um, it isn't ours. Even our own lives, we didn't make ourselves. Um, and that, again, as Hogan pointed out, the root of all of these problems is that there's lack of belief in and fear of the Lord. And once you remove that, then of course you're going to lose respect for human life because if you don't believe human life is the image of God, then you can treat it like you treat a pair of shoes or treat a d- dirty dish that you can throw away, right, unfortunately. Before we go, Penelope, anything else to add? I think we give it a good. Next week, we'll give Penelope a cup of coffee. Or a sip of, I would like that. Or yeah. a sip of Hogan's I would like bang. That. All right, see? Oh, what? Hey, I'm not sharing this with anybody. It's mine. <laughs> That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our student participants, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what they should do. And how can we know what to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Kukaji, and you have been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. Meteorologists.